Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October the 23rd, 2023. It's been 3,527 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 242 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed. And there is a link in the podcast description. There are a lot of updates today. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. The Russian Federation has shifted its tactics, adopting private military company Wagner-style attacks in its latest offensive. These attacks have resulted in heavier casualties and fewer successes because Ukraine has adapted to defend against human-wave-style assaults and has increased artillery capacity. Because of this adaptation, the Russian Federation's attempt to force Ukraine to utilize its reserve forces and accelerate the consumption of ammunition due to the United States military aid remaining in limbo remains unsuccessful. The poorly executed offensives, which are continuing, are causing some of the largest Russian losses of personnel and equipment since February 2022, in exchange for minimal gains. We maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is committed to capturing the Avdivka salient, regardless of the cost. Based on additional intelligence analyzed today, in our assessment, the Ukrainian Samofol counteroffensive has culminated with Ukrainian forces on the defensive in all but two areas of operation, AO. This transition is not due to the exhaustion of combat potential or Ukrainian losses. The failure of the United States House to elect a new speaker and another decision to take a weekend break will almost certainly impact Ukrainian military operations by mid-November, with military aid shipments down 93%. We believe there is little chance a new speaker will be elected within the next three to ten days. The Kremlin is using the Israel-Hamas war as a distraction in the information space to fracture support for Ukraine further, and is successfully framing the Hamas-Israeli war as an Arab-United States and NATO war. Russia is stockpiling missiles and drones for large-scale attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure as the weather continues to degrade. Finally, while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. After weeks of attacks, Russian forces in the Kupiansk operational area, AO, 
have started to make marginal gains. Mutual fighting was reported near Sinkivka, with no change in the situation. South of Pershotravneve, a Ukrainian video showing Russian forces being attacked, confirmed that Russian troops have advanced up to 1,000 meters through the forest south of the settlement. Russian forces reached the same region during their failed attempts to capture Kupiansk over the summer. So, at this time, we consider these marginal gains. East of Kupiansk, heavy fighting continued on the eastern edge of Ivanivka. New videos from the Kraken regiment show that Russian forces have made tactical advances and are within 250 meters of the administrative border of the village. Fighting is ferocious, with Russian forces employing human wave attack tactics. A video showed a Russian infantry fighting vehicle running over its own dismounts at the edge of Ivanivka, indicating there has been poor training and armored vehicles don't want to remain exposed on the forwardmost line of friendly troops. Flot. Moving to assessment. South of Pershotravneva, Russian forces are in a better position due to advantageous terrain and forest cover. Our analyst team is not concerned about this recent advance. At Ivanivka, Russian troops are far more exposed and are suffering heavy losses. However, there is an unimproved road that leads from Ivanivka to Stepovanovoselivka, which connects to the P07 highway to Kupiansk. This Russian advance is more problematic and is worth watching. Moving on to the situation in the Donbass, I begin in Luhansk and the Svatovayo. Our analysts were able to confirm the claim by the 68th Yaga Brigade of foiling a Russian offensive and advancing toward Raihorotka. Russian forces have been pushed to the top of the ridge west of Zherebets river, with little room to maneuver. Mutual fighting was reported in the Nadia area, and Russian-controlled Serhivka is now coded as contested. In the Kremina AO, a geo-confirmed video showed Russian forces had advanced northwest of Kremina, although it is unclear if this was a recent change. Ukrainian forces were attacking Russian troops entrenched in an unpopulated area on the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border. Another geolocated video indicated that Ukrainian troops had made marginal gains south of Dubrova, where Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting continued. In northeastern Donetsk, we start northwest of Bakhmut. Russian forces made marginal gains south of Berhivka at the northern part of the reservoir. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Bogdanivka and in the direction of Hromove without success. In the Klishchivka AO, Ukrainian forces made marginal gains north of Klishchivka. To the east, fighting continued in the Andreevka region, with no change in the situation. Finally, in the Toretsk New York AO, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the area of Druzhba and were unsuccessful. Moving on to southwestern Donetsk, we start in the Avdivka AO. In a sign that things are not going well, the Russian Ministry of Defense, Armored, made no mention of Avdivka. On the north flank, Russian forces attempted to advance on Keramik and Stepove, with a prominent Russian mill blogger claiming that Russian troops made marginal gains without evidence.
Many Russian mail bloggers dropped their claim that fighting had reached Berdichi. Russian forces continued their attempts to capture the Terrakon north of the Avdivka coke plant without success. Small groups of Russian troops are able to reach the approaches, but are repulsed by artillery fire and drone strikes and retreat in the direction of Vesele. On the south flank, Russian forces tried to retake positions they lost north of Opetne without success. Russian troops restarted attempts to bypass Severne after being pushed back in no man's land and tried to advance in the direction of Tonenka. Long-time listeners are going to love this next update. A prominent Russian mail blogger reported that Russian forces were pushed back on the eastern edge of Pervomaiske, with Ukrainian forces advancing in the direction of Piske. A drone video showed a convoy of Russian trucks heading west toward the remains of the E-50 highway stronghold that marks the border between the two settlements. Two things were jarring when I watched the video. First, how tightly clustered the convoy was, despite being 500 meters from the flood and 1,000 meters from Ukrainian troop positions. The second is that it appears Gaza MMV trucks produced from 1942 to 1948 were in the convoy. The MMV was a knockoff of the Studebaker US-6. We have previously assessed that Russia's limitless equipment supply does have limits, and those trucks belong in a museum. We link to the video and the other videos I mentioned earlier in our daily situation report. Information on how to become a subscriber is in the podcast description. Finally, a Russian advance in the direction of Nevelske was unsuccessful. Russia did their Russian things in Marienka and near Novomikhailivka with no change in the situation. In the Staromlinivka AO, Russian forces continued to attack along a broad front. Attempts to advance in the directions of Prechistivka and Zolotaniva were unsuccessful. North of Priyutna on the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border, a geolocated video showed Russian forces made further gains and were pressuring Ukrainian defensive positions. Continuing along the line of conflict in Zaporizhia, after several days of intense fighting south of Rihiv, the operational tempo slowed. GSAFU and Armod reported mutual fighting west of Verbove and west of Robotene, with no change in the situation. Now it's time to talk about the events in the Black Sea region, including Romania, Bulgaria, occupied Crimea, Odessa and Mykolaiv. The city of Odessa was targeted by nine Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 kamikaze drones, which were all shot down by Ukrainian air defenses. Debris landed on a warehouse at one of the ports and caused a fire. No injuries were reported. In Free Kherson, Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Oleksandr Prokudin said Russia carried out 73 fire missions firing 469 munitions, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs, with 46 munitions striking the city of Kherson. Almost two dozen OMPK glide bombs target the right, west bank 
of the Dnipro River from Bereslav to Kherson. Operational Command South, OCS, said that the analysis by the Institute for the Study of War was, quote, false, and called the conclusions they made about the mission objective of Ukrainian troops on the left east bank, quote, premature. The director of communications for OCS, Captain Natalia Humenyuk, said, quote, This sounds very strange to me. We are talking about the fact that our combat work is carried out in different directions in different ways. The emphasis is really on counter-battery warfare, since the task is to clear part of the territory of the left bank from the Russian army. Unquote. Other Ukrainian military sources confirmed that Ukrainian troops are entrenched in Krynke and have a stable ground line of communication, GLOG, from the Antonivsky Zelizhnichny Mist, railroad bridge, to the bridge over the Verkhnyakonka River. Russian sources claimed that fighting continued near Pishanivka. We stand by our assessment that it remains unclear what the mission objective is for Ukrainian forces. But it is clear this is a multi-day operation. Nothing we have reported in the Situation Report, on social media or in the podcast is outside of the public domain. Here is what is going on along the Russian front. In the Krasnodar Krai region, three unique Russian sources reported that an individual attempted to poison pilots from the Armavir military aviation school with a tainted 20-kilogram cake and vodka. Allegedly, the cake and drinks were delivered by the courier of a restaurant before the new graduates had arrived for their ceremony. For unknown reasons, suspicion grew, and the cake and alcohol were not consumed. The courier was arrested at the airport when they attempted to catch a one-way flight to Moscow. In the Vladimir region, partisans sabotaged railroad infrastructure by destroying a relay cabinet near the Kavrov station in Vladimir. The box contained surveillance equipment, and Russian state media claimed traffic was not impacted. Popular MMA fighter Ilyas Yakubov was arrested in Moscow and charged with, quote, publicly calling for terrorism. Over the summer, Yakubov released a video on social media with an overdub of a speech by Shamil Basayev, who is believed to be the mastermind behind the 2004 school bombing in Moscow. Before I talk about theater-wide events, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war and have started situation reports available through our Patreon. $5 a month gets you in-depth information about the Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war. There is a link in the podcast description. Russian forces launched one KH-59 guided missile, 13 Shahid-136 kamikaze drones and one unknown drone, with Ukrainian air defenses successfully intercepting all of them. Ukrainian investigators are evaluating the unknown drone, which appears to be a cruder version of the Shahid-136 kamikaze drone, powered by a two-stroke engine you can buy from the Chinese website Alibaba. The engine has a very different tone to the moped-like Shahid, which closely resembles a lawnmower. Take a listen. (laughs) 
one drone does not make a trend, and it is yet to be seen if this is a cruder and cheaper knockoff of a Shahid 136 or if this is the first sighting of a cottage-produced new type of drone. The Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of the United Kingdom said that Russian losses have almost doubled in October, mostly due to the ongoing attacks in Avdiivka. The report stated that since February 24, 2022, Russia has lost 150,000 to 190,000 troops who were killed or permanently disabled. The figure does not include the over 40,000 dead Wagnerites and the estimated 16,000 who are permanently disabled, and one Evgeny Prigozhin. And that's today's update. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. Now, let me turn over the podcast to my executive producer and co-host, Zarina Zabrisky, who continues her coverage from the war-torn city of Kherson. I'm Zarina Zabrisky, reporting from Kherson. Right now you will be able to hear the sound of a flying missile. First a whistle, then a bang. And now the sound of an air raid siren with the background sound of explosions. The people of Kherson are listening to this for hours on end, day and night. But they hear other sounds as well. This weekend, I was able to go to a theater. Yes, a theater in Kherson right now. Under endless bombing and shelling, people still find the way to get together in the basement. They call it an art hub. And the location is secret because you can share it. The Russians can hit the place if they find out about it. And there, the actors are performing. There are plays, they call them monoplay, because more than one actor probably would not fit into the space. There are lights, there is music, and the audience is all dressed up for the performance. There are women in high heels and their hair is done and um, somebody was wearing wonderful perfume. Just the theater experience that you have anywhere else. It was very cold because there's no heating and it's already getting colder. The first show was about Judah. Uh, it was a play by Lesia Ukrainka, the beloved Ukrainian playwright, writer, poet, and the second one was a modern play written and staged during the war about love in the army at the front. I will be telling you more about this place and wonderful people who run activities for kids in safe locations where kids can come and draw and have a lot of colored pencils and clay 
or make jewelry out of beads. I also went to a poetry reading, which was an incredible poetry reading, and I've been to many all around the world. This was the most moving one. There were only four poets left. There was some audience, not a lot, but there were people there. And somewhere in the middle of this reading, we all stood up and there was a minute of silence dedicated to the poets already killed during this war, some at the front and some in the city of Kherson. I cannot tell you how moving it was. One writer read a really funny story about life during occupation, about the Chechens staring at Ukrainian women and about Ukrainian women making fun of these invaders, occupiers who came to their city hoping to break them. These people are unbreakable. On the wall at the Freedom Square, there is a graffiti saying, Buya i je moja volja, which means, for I am my liberty. I have rarely seen a graffiti more beautiful. From Kherson, we're going to travel to Kharkov, another city in the east of Ukraine, which was attacked only 40 kilometers from the Russian border. It's too close for the air raids sometimes to go up on time. And this time, people were killed in the new experimental terminal of Novoposhta, the innovative postal service that works really well. I've used it several times, and it's amazing. You can order something and receive it here in Kherson in a couple of days, and so it goes for the whole of Ukraine. Today we will talk to Ruslan, the resident of Kharkov, who will tell us the story. Uh, hi, Ruslan. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Are you based in Kharkov? Hey guys, yes, I am. My name is Vlaslan Misunia. I am from Kharkiv. was born here, traveled a bit uh, during my childhood. And for the latest 10 years, I'm like on a daily basis, I'm in Kharkiv. And uh, right now, during the wartime, the big war, I'm still staying in Kharkiv. Could you please share with us what happened last night? From what we know, that yesterday after 10 p.m., uh, residents of the city, all of us could hear their explosions and after that it became known that uh, Russians they um, struck the civilian infrastructure uh, actually that was one of the biggest uh, cargo terminal of Nova Posta Nova Posta is one of the biggest it's the biggest uh, postal service company and it's covering like whole Ukraine and not only Ukraine it's also parades uh, in Europe and uh, it's extremely important, especially nowadays, when people from eastern parts of Ukraine are trying to go either to the western part of Ukraine or to Europe, especially women and children, and they're trying to hide from the war. And uh, that's why these logistics as post offices are vital nowadays. Russians destroyed this terminal, this post terminal. Unfortunately, six people were confirmed being killed. Uh, as far as we know, the official information is that seven of them currently in severe condition and doctors are trying to do everything that is possible to help them. I'm staying here in Kharkiv. My family, part of my family, they are now in central Ukraine and very often we're exchanging something 
just using this Nova Posta because it's the most efficient way to deliver any like goods or personal belongings from your relatives to friends, etc. And actually, today morning I supposed to get a like mail delivery from my family, and unfortunately I lost it, so there is no track. So the application is not uh, the app is not responding about the location of my stuff. Of course, if I'm gonna compare it with the the loss, the the terrible loss of the family, so the victims who died there. So just my personal items, they they meant nothing. But still, people use Nova Posta just to send everything. How is the situation in Kharkiv overall lately? Kharkiv has been attacked like on a weekly basis. So we have uh, three or four times, usually per month, when Russians are trying to hit uh, Kharkiv. Two weeks ago, there was this horrible situation when they uh, killed 53 people in Groza village near Kharkiv, in Kharkiv region. And the next day, there were two hits in Kharkiv city itself. As far as we know from the official data, so seven, 70 buildings were damaged. So it's mean either uh, like hard structural damages or broken windows, etc. Unfortunately, that is our new reality that we have to face and we have to live with. But still, the city lives, the city can continues to work. Their moral level of Kharkiv citizens is still high enough. We are ready to overcome any difficulties till the point of our victory. From Kherson to Kharkiv, I'm sending you our solidarity and Ukraine will win. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.